Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escaville Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she, they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailedhawk 90 and my co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade, you can find me most places on the internet at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they, them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we are talking about book number 51, The Absolute, uh, which is a Marco book. It was ghostwritten by Lisa Harkrader, who also did 44 and 49. Um, uh... This is a very action-packed book. Um, there isn't necessarily a whole lot of dedicated character work, mm. I guess. Um, Agreed. Uh, some content warnings before we get into it are for use slash misuse of military resources, war imagery, death of controllers in Animal Morph, uh, and kidnapping slash abduction. Of a civilian. Uh, I the thing that struck me most about this book, and y'all, y'all listeners know how much one I love my boy. Marco is my son. Two, this is a quality team scoop adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great, and again, it's one of these things where if this had happened earlier in the series. I think this would have been so fun to have as a book um, because it is action-packed and it is fun. Um, but with the, the stakes as they are, and those stakes are happening, to be clear, um, and this doesn't run into the trap of like badly executing what it's doing or having any missteps in the way some of the other books we've talked about. My problem for this book is it doesn't really feel very Animorphs. Mm. Yes, it has kids turning into animals in it and talking about the yurks, but it doesn't have the same feeling. And what occurred to me as I finished, and there was a note uh, or a comment in our document from somebody in the Discord about somebody being quippy, is, you know what this is? This is a fucking Marvel movie. Mm. This is big MCU energy. A lot of action, a lot of quipping, very well-paced, it's very snappy, and there's lots of good stuff going on in here, but it feels very like fluff. Mm. There's nothing really of consequence. We, consequence. we get a few, to be fair, there's like two or three moments in it that, uh, to borrow a turn of phrase uh, from Shrug, hit you like a brick to the face. Mm-hmm. Um but they're very few and far between. And for somebody so um, not introspective in the way that Tobias is, but so insightful in the way that Marco is, his head feels very quiet in this mm. book. And what mm. occurred to me is that, one, he's got some of his own guilt about actually being happy, mm-hmm. um, which... I totally understand that I find very compelling. But what struck me reading this is that we never really see any of Marco's usual sort of hesitation to do things. 
Mm-hmm. He's very, and I don't mean this to come across a criticism. It's like, because I don't begrudge him his cowardice and his fear, but none of that's in this. It doesn't feel like. Mm-hmm. We get to see him be smart and creative. We get to see him do the things he is good at. But unless they're trying to make a point, which I don't necessarily agree that because of how settled he is now, he doesn't have to fear in the same way, mm-hmm. which could be an interpretation of it for sure. But uh, I don't know. Because I said, this is a really fun act- book with a lot of action sequences. And to be fair, the action sequences are good. Like, Lisa Harkrader knows how to write a good action scene that makes sense, that you can follow, and that is engaging. Mm-hmm. But I just... Outside of the set pieces, there feels like so little going on here. Which is a shame. Mm-hmm. And considering this is the book where, spoilers for the end of the book, it goes the war goes public. Mm-hmm. The whole premise of this book is there's the off-sweet green stuff because the National Guard are rolling into town um, and they need to make sure the Yerks don't infest a bunch load of like soldiers. And the other and the 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 plot thread that we follow is Team Scoop getting to the governor of the state um, and telling her about the war so she can go public and help. And it's a solid little, like, thing to have happen. I don't object to that. And I will, I don't know whether I give points for this, but there's something very fun. Like, they do a very (laughs) clever uh, plot twist. The governor is a woman? (laughs) What? It, It feels like it was handled like that. I'm being a little facetious. But not as facetious as I could be about it. Um, Mm. Because I like her as a character. I think she's very... I like how she's written for the most part. Um, But given that we were talking in another recording about how Animorphs might have been perceived as more of a girl's book because it has both male and female characters in the core group, it struck me that we do meet the governor um, and she turns out, and the governor turns out to be a lady. But also, mm-hmm. when we have the kids meeting at the start of this book, it's the animorphs, and then it's two women. It's mm-hmm. Eva and it's Toby. Mm-hmm. And I that struck me, possibly in a way that it shouldn't. But hell, even in twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, even. You still see, like, in superhero movies, there's still, like, overwhelmingly more men than women, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And that just struck me as something I appreciated, even if we do get a little bit into uh, girl boss territory in places. Uh Yeah. Uh, To be fair... That's why I mean, like, this feels like an action movie. Yes, it's the governor of the state. And to be fair, I don't really understand what the deal is with the governor of a state. Of a, I, I don't quite understand like what level of jurisdiction and power they have. Um, 
but the, that's part of what made it feel like a very like this whole it's got like a very like diehard Air Force One like we gotta get the governor to safety <laughs> like it felt very 80s 90s action movie mm-hmm. and it felt deliberate like that was what it was trying to be mm-hmm. like this is the kind of movie that before the war started Marco would have probably loved watching you know mm-hmm. I mean we could get into a, a fun discussion later about how well this is Marco's telling of events and how much is that perception shaping it I like the badass governor. I'm I sorry. I am. Look, I am a simple <laughs> homosexual. I'm sorry. There is a like a strong, confident older woman with graying hair who takes no shit. Mm-hmm. Oh no. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Marco has a moment of like, uh, uh, how do I talk to this person? And Rachel at the end, just like, that's our governor? Yeah, it's just like, damn. It's just like, let Rachel be a lesbian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hashtag. Um, I don't know. I just wish the book had more weight to it, I guess, because then I could feel like, quote, better about enjoying it because it does feel like fluff. Mm-hmm. Which is weird to say about a book which starts with a fucking a really brutal fight on top of a moving train with a tank being stolen which to yeah. be fair i do love but also one of my favorite movies of all time is tank girl so i'm allowed um god now i'm just thinking about the you know how animorphs are prone to like good chase sequences this the chase scene in this book goes on chapters mm-hmm. we've had it a little bit before um, this book is ridiculous. It is just, it just feels like a cheesy action movie. The more I think about it, that feels like the most apt way I can talk about it. Mm-hmm. We'll get to, I suppose, we'll sum it up a little more. We should, we should get into actually discussing the plot. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But, um, Marco versus Ducks is funny. <laughs> I do appreciate that right that moment that feels like the most in character stuff in the whole book is the scene of these fucking free boys trying to get duck morphs woo woo mm-hmm. um, and I will say to this book's credit uh, on the holdover from the last book uh, we know that Tom got away with the morphing cube is having the Yurks being able to be animals and morph mm-hmm. genuinely feels threatening. Yeah. And that is handled very well mm-hmm. in this. Especially the first instance, which we'll talk about as we get there. But we should dive into the plot unless there's got any overarching thoughts you want to share before we uh, we get in. Uh, uh, nah, not really. I mean, I had fun with this book because it is it is good yeah. action. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't. It I guess it doesn't strike me as 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 fluffy as it strikes you. Um, hmm. Maybe because I uh, it, it enjoyed the break of it. <laughs> No, I will give it that. Like, <laughs> I, when I say 
I thought I found it a little fluffy and I found it like a cheesy action movie. I mean neither of those in a bad sense. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> I um. like cheesy action movies. <laughs> <laughs> Except unless if it has Tom Cruise in, he can fuck off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, a much needed break for sure with the mm-hmm. heaviness that we've been weighing under and Tobias less so, but Marco and Axe are the comedic comic relief characters. Mm-hmm. Like that has consistently been their role for a large part of the series. So it makes sense that the buddy movie, buddy cop movie esque vibes would be Team Scoop mm-hmm. here at the end. Like because also Marco and Axe tend to bring out the lightness in Tobias in the best way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he doesn't have the baggage. Because he can be himself with Rachel, but he doesn't have the baggage of guilt mm-hmm. about not wanting to be a boy all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas Axe and Marco love him for who he is and don't, intentionally or not, have the same kind of demands on him. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> just think, this whole book is just big boys will be boys energy. And in this case, that means... <laughs> Stealing tanks, <laughs> kidnapping governors. <laughs> uh, you're, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> the, the absolute <laughs> subtitle, boys will be boys. <laughs> good, good. Uh, so we open on Marco and Tobias tailing a train that is transporting some tanks. Uh, they're both in well Tobias is in his normal form and Marco is Osprey and they're they've fl- uh, flown hard to keep up with this train um and and catch up to it and and see what they're looking for controller activity because for the past few days uh the national guard has been sending a whole lot of equipment into their area um of California and uh, they're trying to figure out like, is this because the Yerks are trying to, you know, get all of this equipment here? Is this because the U S government knows something like what is up here? Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense that this is happening um, outside of their Mm. Uh, guerrilla war, right? Um, at first it seems like it really isn't a Yerk operation. Uh, they don't see, like, there, there's only, like, two people on the train that are driving the train and they seem like regular people. As, <laughs> uh, as Tobias points out, like it means anything. <laughs> they don't look like controllers, like that means anything. Um, we get, uh, some nice kind of like Marco and Tobias banter. Um, Tobias is showing off his aerial acrobatics. Uh, yeah, which is become... the red-tailed hawk death spiral. Is yeah, spiral of death. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a corkscrew. Um, and, uh, this becomes relevant shortly. Uh, but, um, they're, 
they don't really see anything suspicious. Marco has like a, a, a sensation, like something, I'm missing something here. Um, but they decide to land on the tank because they want to find out where the tanks are going anyway, and they might as well save their strength. Um, and so, uh, Tobias lands, like, on the flatbed of one of these trains, kind of in between two tanks, and Marco lands, like, on top of one of the tanks, just kind of holding on. Um, and then Marco realizes, uh, like, oh, I know what seems weird, is that there aren't any guards on this train at all. Uh, if the National Guard were an operation, uh, preparing to gearing, hmm, if the National Guard were gearing up to fight aliens, wouldn't they have soldiers posted on the train? And if it's Visser 1, you know he'd have controllers crawling all over. 34 tanks and nobody's watching them. Uh, and, uh, speak of the devil and he may appear, uh, they begin to turn a bend, uh, on the track. And in formation up ahead is a squadron of golden eagles and peregrine falcons led by a red-tailed hawk. The Yurks are here, and they're in morph. And the the sense of dread I felt, I knew it was coming, (laughs) but just the... Mm-hmm. Sorry. Given the, we've had it stressed so many times by Tobias how dangerous an eagle is to him. Mm-hmm. And like, even another red-tailed hawk is enough to make his life more difficult. Um, and then obviously there's the implications, just like, yeah, no, nah, they have already sussed out how to work the morphing cube. And I've already acquired morphs, and it's a go. And we see so many different morphs from the controllers mm-hmm. that have been given the morphing ability in this book. Mm-hmm. I will say, uh, you know how we, I feel I don't like to applaud the bad guys too much. But Vissel One knows how to utilize a resource. Mm-hmm. This bitch be like, okay, cool. Now we're going to do some mind games. And we get a comment, like, we get a very self-aware nod from Tobias later, uh, which adds to the Marvel movie vibes, frankly, of just like, man, now I know, now it's almost enough to make uh, you feel sort of sympathetic because now we don't know uh, whatever, any animal could be a controller. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, great when you're already dealing with a lot of paranoia. Mm Mm-hmm. Just yep. what you need. I do appreciate that the threat of this incoming squadron is wonderfully undercut by Tobias critiquing their flight. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, cause it's also a lovely little follow-on from what he was just doing with Marco. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also that kind of joking and banter is like... Tobias is probably fucking shitting himself mm-hmm. at the sight of that many birds coming at them and mm-hmm. all the implications therein. But he's joking with Marco about it. Mm-hmm. 
Like he's making this commentary, which just, these two work really well together. Yeah, they do. Which is a very cool thing as, as this book goes on, the, their dynamic, however it's formed, and a lot of it is probably formed off screen, but their styles of, are very complementary because a lot of it is like based on what do I see? How do I act on what I've seen? Mm-hmm. they're both quite thoughtful in their approach to stuff and I like how we see them borrowing from each other in this uh, Tobias is a little shit in this book and I love him <laughs> he deserves it frankly he does, he does. Um, so these uh, controllers in Morph are heading fast toward them Uh. Tobias critiques them for not having much flight experience. They're upwind, flying in formation. Uh, very obvious that they are controllers. Um, and at first they don't see Tobias and Marco. Uh, Tobias kind of like sneaks to where he can't be seen, but Tobias being on top of the tank, not Tobias, Marco being on top of the tank, uh, can't move without drawing attention to himself. So he has to just kind of like stay still and hope that, uh, these birds don't see him, which they're birds of prey. They're going to see him. Which he realizes uh, pretty much yeah. immediately after having that thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we get as, as we're waiting. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no, you go. Uh, I was about to do the exact same thing. As we're waiting for uh, the, the Yerks to spot him, uh, we get the background, kind of typical description of what everything is. We get the introduction of the auxiliary, auxiliary Anamorphs, James and his gang, a group of auxiliary Anamorphs we'd recently recorded, recruited to help us fight the Yerks. I cannot talk today. Um, it's fine. <laughs> and he's, you know, I'm one of the human kids, Marco. That's all I'm going to tell you about me. No last name, no address. Not that it probably makes any difference anymore. The Yerks know who I am <laughs> or know who I was anyway. Um, tells us about the Yerks, about how his mother was a controller, how they rescued her and evacuated to the, uh, free Hortbegir, which and he says, which should have been great, and it was, for me personally, and for my family. Okay, so we were on a never-ending camping trip with seven-foot-tall bladed aliens who rarely, if ever, bathe. And no, I hadn't seen an indoor toilet in weeks, but I wasn't complaining. I had my mom back, had my family back, and, as an added bonus, algebra homework was now at only a distant, quickly fading memory. But for the Animorphs, and for the war we were fighting, my mother's escape was the beginning of a long, terrifying downhill slide, and we were about to hit rock bottom hard. Um, he talks about how one of their big advantages was being able to morph, um, and the fact that Visser 3 was looking for Andalites instead of humans, um, but that after they rescued his mom... You know, it was a matter of time before Visser 3 figured out that the Andalite bandits were human. Um, and he says that, you know, the others were 
forced to rescue their families, Rachel and her mom and two sisters, Cassie with her parents, Tobias with his mother, and Jake, alone. We tried to get Jake's family out, even Tom, his brother who'd been a controller since the beginning of the invasion. But the Yerks got there first, got there first, turned his mom and dad into controllers too, turned Jake into somebody, no, hmm, turned Jake into someone none of us knew anymore. Ow. Mm-hmm. It hurts me. This isn't the first time this observation, this isn't, sorry, this isn't the only time this observation is made, but having like been with Cassie in the last book and her talking about Jake's changing, how Jake is changing, then to have Marco, the other person who knows Jake best and has known him the longest, Mm -hmm. to have that. The fact that he's including himself in the statement of someone none of us knew anymore Mm -hmm. is such a loaded statement. It occurs to me that Rachel has also probably known Jake the longest. <laughs> but, you know, that's different. Yeah. Well, Marco and Jake knew each other since they were in diapers. And yeah. considering, like, awareness of your surroundings not starting until a little while into your life, um, probably uh, they've known him relatively equal amounts of time. Um <laughs> fair uh but yeah uh, and they were like yeah we thought we were uh the worst that could have happened happened uh but it turns out we were fucking wrong because we started to give uh the morphing power to some more people to create more animorphs uh and then uh the our one weapon uh fell into your cans. Marco doesn't know how or why. None of the others know how or why yet. Uh. Oh. Great. Thanks for that. <laughs> Danielle. God. You're going to find out next book. It's fine. And yet, I do not feel reassured. <laughs> I'm sure everybody takes it just fine. Yeah, sure. Sure they do. <laughs> Especially Axe. Axe takes it perfect, like, just fine. Can you stop fucking hinting at future pain and focus on this, bud? Excuse me. <laughs> We're making a podcast here. I, I, I appreciate the secondary mission of this podcast is to torment me. But still. <laughs> Listen, I have, I have vanishingly few opportunities mm-hmm. at this point uh uh-huh okay sure i gotta <laughs> i gotta take advantage of them when i can brutal brutal thanks okay uh-huh. uh anyway so uh marco is spotted as he knew he would be um by the red-tailed hawk and uh, we get a kind of chilling inversion of Tobias's characteristic uh, battle cry, as it were, um, as this enemy red tail 
dives at him. Um, and Tobias is seeing this and he's like, uh, you do know that a bird of prey is shooting from the sky aiming for you, right? <laughs> um, and Marco is like, yeah, I do know that. Uh, and I have a plan. And his plan is one brutal and two just really smart. Um, because oh, he yeah. recognizes that this controller doesn't have a whole lot of flying experience. Um, and maybe wasn't paying as much attention as he should have been to everything around Marco. Um, and so Marco kind of like flares out his feathers, uh, like what raptors do when they feel threatened. It's called mantling. Um, and he fakes out this bird. He basically waits until the very last second, um, covering up this thick steel tube that, uh, is jutting up behind him. Uh, and then at the very last moment, moves, and this bird can't pull up fast enough. And just fucking plummets, like, hits head first into this steel fucking pipe. Um, it kills him. It, it kills this, this controller. Um, which is... Like, it's yeah. described the aftermath of it, like, they, you, they see it, like, lying there with a broken neck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is fucking brutal. We don't usually Absolutely. get... We don't usually get just straight up and down descriptions of, like, yeah, they're dead. Uh, we get a lot of, like, them attacking and con- inflicting mortal wounds. Um, but, but not the aftermath. Not the aftermath, usually. Um, and it also was at this point that I was like, you know, Visser 3 probably gave the morphing power to the human controllers and not the hork controllers. Uh, so, so much for not killing human controllers. We're getting into <laughs> the final days. Yep. Uh. I will say one little detail I do like about that is Tobias checks in with Marco, doesn't immediately assume Marco needs his help. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a certain degree of trust with these two that we mm-hmm. see that t- speaks to the amount of time they've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because the relationship between the two of them at the start of the series could be a little abrasive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and we saw them sort of teasing that out um, and then the friendship developing between them. And to see them get to this point of easy banter and like having each other's backs so readily, but not stepping in unless they have to. Mm-hmm. It's... I said, there's that level of trust and they care about each other, but they aren't like overly protective, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which a couple of the animals generally can be maybe over generally the rest of the group or mm-hmm. one of the group in particular. <laughs> I'm naming no names. You guys all know. And I just, 
there's something about it my like battle couple i know i don't ship marco and tobias i could be persuaded like most <laughs> ships but i just like also i just like i'm not a fan especially of war movies and stuff like that but i do like battle buddies as a mm-hmm. trope and mm-hmm. battle couples as a trope like back to back you instinctively understand how each other fight I was about to pull Lego Lass and Gimli as a point of reference, but no, that's <laughs> romantic. Um, <laughs> I've seen the movies. <laughs> I know about the appendices. I know. <laughs> um, but there are lots of good examples out there that mm. aren't necessarily romantic uh, flavoured, though. Power of the Shippers. And it's just, I like it. I like it a lot. It's one of the elements of this book that I do find more than just surface level satisfying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the like, intercharacter mm-hmm. dynamics are really good. Yeah, um I will one credit I will give to the action, or one additional credit I'll give to the action, is it still feels like these characters fighting. Mm-hmm. It isn't just generic action. Mm-hmm. It feels like uh, Lisa Hartgrader was like aware of things and explores and uses like known things about these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at this point, it uh, breaks down into kind of all-out aerial dogfight kind of thing. Um. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the the Golden Eagles and the Falcons come after them. Um, they, for a moment, they take shelter uh, underneath the train. Um, but they they can't really get away for long. Um, Marco gets caught by a Golden Eagle. It, like, latches onto his back. Um, he tries to wrench free. Tobias comes to his rescue, um, in said aerial dogfighting, uh, using his red tail spiral of death. It's um, super effective. <laughs> um, gets the eagle to drop Marco. Marco lands on, uh, the, the bed of the flat car, um, and demorphs, uh, as, uh, Falcon circles and get prepares to dive on him. He he demorphs to human, kicks the falcon. This um, falcon which takes, takes a golf ball chunk out of his golf ball sized chunk out of his leg. To be fair, yeah, which I don't think could happen with the peregrine falcon's talons, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Hyperbole mid battle is allowed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he. Begins to morph gorilla. Um, and then kind of just like flails at these birds like fucking King Kong. Um, which he cites directly. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yeah. Um, Tobias is fighting, uh, a golden eagle and two falcons. Um, the, the train is getting closer to the city, closer to your reinforcements. Marco realizes that they need to finish this one way or another. Um, he calls that it's time to bail. And he opens up 
one of these tanks. Uh, basically, so one of the one of the through lines of this whole action sequence is uh, Marco bringing up how much he knows about these particular uh, brands, styles of tanks, makes of tanks. There we go. Um, because he's been to level 10 in tank commando, which is just excellent. Um, so he like yanks the lock off of a toolbox, gets a sledgehammer, uses the sledgehammer to, uh, take off the chains and wood blocks that are holding the tank locked to this the train car. This is so baller. Like it's this so thing, like the visual of a fucking gorilla on a flatbed uh-huh. loosing the fucking chains and stuff. It's so, it's smart is the mm-hmm. thing. He's so effective in what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he throws the sledgehammer towards the engine of the train to get the train to stop. Um, and then crawls into the tank has Tobias fly into the tank with him and closes the lid. Uh, and so he's like, okay, we're safe. And Tobias is like, yeah, uh, sealed inside a can with yerk-infested birds nesting on top waiting for reinforcements who will peel the lid off and kill us. Um, and Marco's like, nah, don't worry about it. This is a tank. I can drive a tank. <laughs> and Tobias is like, uh, yeah. Sure, Marco, we're, we're going to drive the tank. How do you know how to drive a tank? Oh, you know, uh, PlayStation and uh, History Channel. <laughs> I do think Tobias just being like, so like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Tobias morphs human. Marco demorphs to human. Uh, Marco climbs into the, like, driver's... Uh, cockpit almost it's like a crawl space um tobias takes the gunner position um they do both put on the helmets with the mics mm-hmm. the built-in mics as well so they can still talk because uh <laughs> spoilers it's loud inside tanks uh-huh. um. uh, and uh he drives the tank off of the train and uh it escapes just fine. <laughs> the um, fact that this works is just, it's, it's and like as they're sort of like trundling off through the forest. There is this hair because they have to like tip the, and Marco is worried that he could just like flip the tank over. Mm-hmm. Like in his head, he is not convinced he can do this, but he is trying. Yeah, and the moment of like the tank tipping as it goes the right way, but to like hit the uh the slope at the side of the track and into the forest mm-hmm. and uh shout out to tobias who does not use uh ammunition because to be fair it may not even be loaded that seems like a really dangerous idea mm-hmm. frankly um but it's just swinging the gun turret around to knock these birds out <laughs> which is just again tank girl one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. um but just the visual of these two like teenagers who are both canonically like small and like skinny (laughs) inside a tank trundling through the woods 
with the fucking gun turret spinning to knock birds away is mm-hmm. just it's so much yep because because the controllers basically just like landed on top of the tank they're like all right you're stealing the tank we can go with you and so Tobias just kind of like spins the gun around to knock them out and eventually they just like take off they're like fuck that we can follow you from the air i guess um and uh they they do nearly drive off a cliff they do we do have to talk cliff (laughs) go ahead no no you got it i just like they're driving and like okay so what are we where are we going to leave this tank and all that and then tobias because it's expressed like the gunner position has like the better Mm-hmm. Uh, thing for visualizing the outside. The driver's position just has a much like smaller, narrower thing to to look through. And Tobias is like Marco, break! Um, and they are literally like right on the edge of a cliff. And Marco has to figure out which way is reverse to get them back. <laughs> and there is a brief moment where he doesn't quite manage to get it in reverse. Uh, you know, just to to amp the tension a little more. Um, but he is able to. Um, And the cliff is overlooking the highway, and so they just drive onto the highway, going the wrong direction, in a tank. They play chicken with an 18-wheeler. And win. (laughs) And win. (laughs) Only because Tobias swings the gun around. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I just... scrolling through to catch up in the PDF and just saying like tanks are very simple to operate <laughs> like in terms of how you power them up and things mm-hmm. um, I imagine like driving them well is an entirely different mm-hmm. thing but uh, <laughs> American military gotta make it easy to use uh-huh. you know and Marco specifically says so like a 13 uh, like a what, no, a third grader could probably start up this tank. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we missed one out that Tobias figures out how to spin the gunner because the user manual is in there. Um, <laughs> dry yeah. reading, but I think I've got it. Um, I got this fucking tank doing sixty-five on the free on the freeway. <laughs> uh, and to be clear, they play chicken with the eighteen-wheeler. Uh, who swerves away at the last minute. And then we just cut to the next chapter. This was seven yep. chapters of, mm-hmm. what, 29 in this mm-hmm. book? Uh, a full quarter of the book mm-hmm. was that. I'm mm-hmm. not mad about it, to be clear. Uh, and we just cut to Jake asking, so where did you leave the tank? <laughs> and these kids, well, the tank, well, you know Chapman's house? Nice two-story. Jake sighed, how many stories is it now? Uh, zero. But the back deck will give Chapman a nice supply of firewood this winter. It's already piled up for him. Tobias smiled. Too bad he doesn't have a fireplace anymore. <laughs> oh, I, I, we have a really nice scene setting of the war, like the war council, uh, or the joint mm-hmm. chiefs of staff as uh, as Marco describes it. But just the visual of these things, like, what are we going to do with this tank? Let's go fuck up Chapman's house. <laughs> so powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no notes. Um, and Rachel's just like, excuse me, you flattened Melissa's house? Um, hey, the books have remembered. Uh, <laughs> th- 
Melissa exists. Good job, book. Um, and Rachel's like glaring at Michael, like you flatten Melissa's house and looks at glares at Dwight. You you went along with it. Um, and Marco's like, you're just mad because you didn't get to drive a tank, which is possibly true. Um, <laughs> but the house was empty. The cat wasn't even there. So it's fine. Um, uh, Fluffer McNutter or whatever that stupid cat's name is. Fluffer McKitty. She said, oh, excuse me, Fluffer McKitty. That's so much better. Anyway, they're all fine. Uh, Melissa, her parents, her cat, Tobias does. They're just, well, homeless. <laughs> um, and Rachel looks to Jake uh, for backup. Um, and Jake doesn't say anything. Um, he doesn't call a reprimand. He doesn't seem like amused and doing a bad job of covering up like he normally does. Uh, for his, that's not exactly what I meant by low profile, Marco. All the normal Jake stuff. Um, he doesn't do any of that. The fire pops. It's just like that sort of, not silence, but quiet of just being around the fire. Jake just sighs and is poking at the fire and Axe and Marco share a look. Axe is really making good use of shrugging as a gesture. <laughs> um, and Jake observes that since we'd moved to the valley, Jake had been on autopilot. I didn't know how to talk to him anymore. This was Jake, my best friend since second grade, and I couldn't even have a superficial, meaningless conversation with him, let alone try to get into his head. Part of it was me, my guilt. Yeah, big newsflash, call the Associated Press, Marco feels guilty. Well, wouldn't you? My family was safe, recovered, together, while Jake's had been torn away from him. There was only a very slim chance he'd ever get them back. But that wasn't exactly why I felt guilty. I felt guilty because I was so happy. Happy my mum was back. Happy that she and my dad were still nauseatingly in love. My best friend had lost everything that had ever meant anything to him. Meanwhile, I practically had to tie myself to a tree to keep from running up and down the valley, arms spread wide, belting out show tunes. I glanced at Cassie. She sat on top of the old picnic table Axe and I had found and dragged to the camp. She sat away from the fire, away from the whole group. I figured if anybody could get through to Jake, Cassie could. I mean, she's Cassie, for Pete's sake. But since our last mission, since the Yerks had stolen the morphing queue, Jake was more distant from her than from anybody. Distant? Actually, where Cassie was concerned, Jake had completely closed down, like an iron door had slammed shut. So, you know, everyone's doing fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but they chat strategy for a bit. Um, it's pretty confirmed that the National Guard weren't moving the tanks, or not the regular one in Guard, but um, they took like the uninfested National Guard. We've been assuming there's still a thing. Eva, is there a chance we're wrong? And Eva's like, no, nah, I would have. We would have heard about it if Vista Three had taken over the National Guard while I was there. <laughs> uh, what am I saying? Everybody would have known about it. Um, and that there hasn't been enough time since he was promoted to have done that, uh, because these are thousands of soldiers spread across the state who aren't on active duty. They're like weekend warriors, to use the terms in the book. So most of the time they're not even with their units because, and it would take months to plan and execute like a plan to infest all of the National Guard. Mm -hmm. 
and they figure, well, that's probably what's happening now. Like the planning is done, the execution stage is beginning. Um, some at least some high-ranking officers are going to be controllers. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to call soldiers to the city. Um, so we uh, we can't let it happen. And they talk about like, well, how can we stop it? Like, we don't have enough people between us. Um, and Jake is the one that says like, right, so we split up. One group is the in-your-face group, looks to Rachel. Um, the group takes a diver- create a diversion with the National Guard troops, keeps them away from the Yerk pool as long as possible. They're stationed all over the city, so we'll have to keep moving to hit all the bases, but it will split this one's resources trying to stop us. It'll keep him busy, buy us some time. Uh, Toby rings up that they'd been planning to liberate a group of the group of Hawkbeshire that guard the sharing headquarters so they can be ready to go in the morning. So it's another fire that Vista One has to put out. Um, group two are going to be smaller, quieter. They'll need to show a little more finesse. This is the key phrase of this book. <laughs> uh, and Rachel is a bit incredulous. Um, and is he's the one that points out, like, the only person who has enough authority to stop the movement of National Guard troops is the state governor. So group two has to go to the capital, get to the governor, and convince him to work with us. And here we have this moment which just, like, oh boy. Because Cassie immediately volunteers. She's like, I'll go. No, Jake replied, practically before the words were out of her mouth. Cassie froze, stared at him. Jake didn't even look at her. Instead, he gave me a sarcastic half-smile, a glimpse of the old Jake. If anyone can handle a politician, it's Marco, and Tobias can get to the capital without getting lost. We also need to make sure the governor isn't a controller and Axe is the most qualified to judge. So that's the second group. Marco, Axe and Tobias. That's when he finally looked at Cassie, locked his gaze on her. I can trust them, he said. Then there's just this silence. And then he just carries on. I'll be with group one, Rachel, Cassie, Toby and some of her people, James's group, and just da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Like he hasn't just drawn this fucking line in the sand mm-hmm. um we'll dwell on that in just a moment but he just like states to to team scoop um they need to they can't fight the war alone anymore they need the authorities um and if the governor is still free like uninfested you've got to convince them and if he's a controller Yes, well, you know, we've already spoiled the fact that the governor is a woman. Um, I suppose not necessarily it's interesting because they all assume the governor is a guy mm-hmm. up until the moment it's revealed it's not. Um, but yeah, so no pressure. And they're trying to keep things quiet. Um, you know, handle this the best way you know how. I'm counting on you guys to be cool. <laughs> um, and let me tell you, the next chapter, like, perspective shift impeccable even with the uh, typo in the pdf undercutting it a little bit impeccable (laughs) about talking about the mean call but let us let us take a moment (laughs) jake just saying the uh, quiet part loud huh uh uh-huh and this is where we get a little bit of the Marco isn't out of character in this book, but like you said, we don't see into his head as much as we might in others. 
Like, I want to know what Marco's fucking reaction to this line was. Uh-huh. Because that says a lot. Mm. <laughs> Why can't Jake yeah. trust Cassie anymore? What happened? Yeah, like, it's all very surface reactions yeah. to stuff. Yeah. Like, I like the insight about the guilt, but given how well we've seen Marco in have insight into Cassie and into Jake's people... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, you want to find out, uh, hey, buddy, uh, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. The fact that, I suppose because all of them think that Jake is not being himself. Mm -hmm. So to have him, like, be so cold to Cassie like that, just like, because the immediate no could have been anything, but it is when he turns around and says... And it's not that he says he doesn't trust Cassie out loud, it's that he can trust Tobias and Axe and Marco. Yeah, he doesn't say it out loud, but also... Yeah, exactly. It's there. It's like, <laughs> everyone can see what he's not saying there. Uh, it's interesting, considering that uh, what, however many books ago it was, Axe knocked him out and went and stole the jet. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's... You know what? It is a little interesting because when I read this line, I read it with the italics, right? I can trust them. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Imme immediately, that's the way I read it. But it's not italicized mm. in the novel. And so, you know, I wonder if, if, like, the others think maybe it's just like, Oh, don't worry, I can trust them to do this. It's the fact that he's looking straight at Cassie when he yeah, says Yeah, like, everything around this makes it seem like the first thing, especially to us who know what has happened. What and it I is, just, it's and I wonder, exactly, and so that's why I wish we had something from Marco here to tell us, does mm -hmm. he think, like, this is, this was just Cassie questioning and Jake being like, nah, uh, mm -hmm. well, we can trust them to get this job done or like, whoa, that was really fucking loaded. What is going on here that I have missed? Because mm -hmm. something has like, I, I had recognized that, uh, you know, Jake and Cassie, there's like this iron door between them where before it was open communication. Mm -hmm. But like, that is an extremely loaded statement. Like what? Mm -hmm. What happened? Did I know yeah. that they went after the morphing cube? What? What could have happened that Cassie made Jake not trust her? I don't think his mind is going to go. Oh, they were chasing Tom, and Cassie stopped Jake yeah. from killing Tom. Like that's not where Marco's mm -hmm. mind is going to go. I don't think they no. even realized that they were chasing Tom. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think any of them know that Tom was the one who ran away with the morphing... Actually, I'm going to go back and check. Well, no, because Cassie is the one that says, I'll go after him at the end of that fight. Right. Uh, but Jake is already, like, going as well. So, oh yeah, no, Cassie's like, I'm going to go find the morphing cube. Yeah. and then But then they see, like, Tom running off with it. I think was how that went. Well, Cassie and Jake do. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, but like you say, yeah, none of the others may have known. It was specifically Tom that made off with it. Yeah, it, it just says here that the, the blue box fell into York hands. And Marco, I think, would have said Tom yeah. got away with the cube if that yeah. was what he believed mm-hmm. or knew to be the case. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like, uh-huh. What the hell? Yeah, it's obviously the nature of this book is like, okay, we've got the little B-team side mission going mm-hmm. on. So we don't spend any time mm-hmm. um, with what sounds like a buck wild time when we get the little summary of it at the end <laughs> uh, when they get back from the capital. Um, some of it's on the news. Uh, it was a lot, but we don't see any of that happening. Yeah. Which I suppose was a smart choice if uh, book 52 is going to be as loaded as Danielle keeps hinting at. Hmm. Um, But it's one of those moments where you just think like, the fact that Cassie is isolating herself from everybody Mm -hmm. and Rachel was letting it happen makes me just so sad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and you can feel it because Cassie's been putting distance between herself and Rachel. Mm-hmm. We've seen it already. Um and Rachel could feel that and was hurt by it. Mm-hmm. So now she probably doesn't feel like she can reach mm-hmm. out to Cassie. And also, uh, and I would empathize entirely, is mad at her and probably doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. I think like being a teenager and being mad at your friends is a horrible feeling. I mean, to be fair, being mad at people you care about is always a shitty feeling uh, because it's so complicated. Yeah. And it hurts to be upset with people you care about. Mm-hmm. And it's just the visual of Cassie just sat removing herself from the group. Mm-hmm. Hurts me in my heart place. Yeah. It's... So, uh, over the past... Something removing the heart from the body, something, uh, something. (laughs) Uh, you know, there's, there's been some good conversation happening in the Discord about, um, uh, what, what this, like, interpersonal landscape looks like and how different people interpret that when they're reading it, um... Mm. Specifically, like, uh, with the last book with Cassie approaching Marco, um, and, like, basically Cassie being uh, a call to action for everybody, well, for specifically Marco and Jake, um, Hmm. to, uh, you know, step back into their, their roles and do things. But now we see Cassie has also pulled away. So Jake is still fucked up. He's he's in command. He's still leading, but he's not. He's leading, but he's not being the leader. Yeah, good distinction. Um, so much, you know, he's he's giving orders. He's talking through plans and making decisions, but. Uh, as Marco pointed out, like he's not, he's not doing the kind of normal things he would were like reprimanding Marco and Tobias for 
going out of their way to fucking destroy Chapman's house and for stealing a tank, you know? Um, like, he's not engaging with that stuff. Um, and Marco admits that he's, uh, not ne- he doesn't necessarily say he's off his game, but he says that he is different because, like, his family is safe. And that, like, he's happy for maybe the first time in, like, three, five years. Mm-hmm. Five years. Like, uh, and, you know, you said that he's lost some of his cowardice, and I do kind of attribute that to this new family situation of his. He's not, he's not mm-hmm. uber aware of the fragility of, like, his father's mental state. Yeah. Like he was at the beginning, right? Um, mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, and I think having a stable family makes him brave in the same way, like, mm. it made Jake and Rachel brave at the beginning, kind of thing. Yeah. No, Has something to fight for more. Yeah. And when I say, when I made the observation, I don't, it feels like growth, to be mm-hmm. fair. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a lapse in writing. I just think it's so. It feels like such a striking contrast to the yes. last time we were in Marco's perspective. Yeah. Um, it has yeah, been more is... time than usual since the last book. Mm. I mean, it's only yeah. one book difference, but. But yeah, there also is something like, and you could, you don't have to phrase it like this, but also Marco's less depressed. Yeah, he is. And I think it is fair to, and like, there's also so much guilt. I think if you've been a certain way for a long time and you change, mm-hmm. there is a guilt around being better when other stuff is bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, not to it's... say that Marco isn't dealing with trauma right now, but also when when we talk about depression, whether it's clinical or what, but a lot of some depression is entirely reactive. It is a response to our is a response to uh, stuff going on around us mm-hmm. and with that stuff gone or a lot of what was causing Marco's pain has been fixed as he freely says like mm-hmm. he's ready to r- run through the valley singing show tunes mm-hmm. <laughs> this boy is bisexual <laughs> um I'm so straight straight boys do not get the urge to sing show tunes. I'm fairly certain. <laughs> not to live in stereotypes, but also. <laughs> My husband would disagree. <laughs> he can disagree all he wants, but I'll just no- <laughs> nod knowingly that okay, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> you can be a straight person enjoying show tunes. But also, Marco has more than just show tunes. Yeah, yeah acting yeah. in his favor. No, I got you. Um, also, that is deeply amusing to me. I hope that when I visit, Andrew feels at liberty to belt show tunes in my presence because <laughs> that will be delightful. Uh, but if if you are like connected to people by trauma, like you meet them at a point in your life, or like you've gone through a very traumatic series of events together while feeling in a certain state of mind Mm -hmm. and then you change 
mm-hmm. you are going to feel this distance mm-hmm. because like the, yes they're talking about how they don't even recognize jake anymore but the marco of this book is not the marco of book what was the first one from his perspective two or three five it took till book five to get a marco book mm-hmm. god it did didn't it but the the point remains the same. They're all changing and growing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Marco is possibly going to leave this war a better, more adjusted individual. There's X number of books left to go. Knocking on wood. Something awful can still happen. But at this point, the war is at its worst and he's at his best. Mm-hmm. And that'll fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it it really makes me think that part of his uh not necessarily gung ho-ness, because he's not gung ho, but his proactivity, I guess, mm. comes from a place of guilt. Yeah. You know, like I don't I don't have my professed reason to be reticent anymore. And mm-hmm. also like, Jake is still doing this even though he's lost everything. And I am happy. I feel mm-hmm. guilty for being happy. So I need to, like, Time step for me to take up. some risks. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, complicated emotions from children who are going through, through immeasurable trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's interesting to think about, like, what the, the motivations are um and our interpretations of them uh and of course now we have cassie in her role having totally broken down like she's not engaging with her role at all Mm -hmm. uh for you know some understandable reasons um yep uh reasons that are you know of her you know results of her own decisions but nevertheless. But, but still, you know, she was doing what she thought was right. Uh, and maybe, maybe is second guessing herself at this point. We don't know because we don't get another book from Cassie's perspective. Um, <sighs> wasted opportunity. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, at the, at the end of the last book, she was not regretting it. She was, Fairly, not certain, but felt deep down that she had done the right thing. There are three books left after this book. Fuck uh-huh. off. Uh, <laughs> God. <sighs> the last two will go very quickly, I promise. Do you think that makes me feel better? <laughs> Spoilers, it don't. It doesn't at all. <laughs> Ay. <laughs> 